for his God as he did aforetime. And the men assembled and found Daniel praying, making supplication before his God. That was Daniel's part, faithfulness to God. Now jump down to verse 25. After Daniel was thrown into the den of lions, he was brought back out the following morning. This is what the king said. And this was brought on by Daniel's faithfulness. This opportunity to evangelize was brought on by Daniel's faithfulness. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth. Who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. You may be seated. and say, God, what do you want me to do with what I'm learning? This is a quick review. Some of you weren't, the church wasn't this full last night. So uh, those of you who were here last night, help me answer this question. What, belief holds, what beliefs hold us back from being involved in evangelism? What do you remember? Rejection, fear of rejection. I'm afraid that if I speak out, people will think I'm weird, they'll reject me. Yeah. Okay? Good. I'm afraid I'll mess up. And what did we say should give you comfort? It's okay to mess up. That's the only way you learn. If you are determined to do it right the first time, I don't have much hope for you. But if you're willing to, to mess up, I, we want to give you permission to do your best, and you'll fail. It won't go very well, but it, that's the way you learn. That's the way you learn every skill that you now, now do. You didn't learn to walk without falling down. You didn't learn to drive a car without making some mistakes. Good. Thank you. What else? I don't have what it takes. Evangelism is for those super, super spiritual people. I'm just an ordinary person. I don't have what it takes. Good. You were listening. What? Well, that's pretty obvious. If I'm, if I'm too busy, then God can't expect me to do anything. Is that right? Who said I'm too busy? Okay. So, how did we answer that question? I mean, how did we answer that um, May I call it an excuse? So, 
what would you say to someone now that says, that's a wonderful idea that Arthur teaches, but I just don't have time? What would you tell them? Change your priorities. Maybe there's things that you have been doing that aren't as important as reaching out. Okay? Good. Any more? Okay. Let's just look. Um, they're probably satisfied with what they have. I don't want to be overbearing. What about number four? I'll just live out my testimony and surely that'll be good enough. You can be the most exemplary person in the whole world, but that doesn't let them know that they're on their way to hell and that they need Jesus in their hearts. What are the practical things that you can do to improve your usefulness for the kingdom? Do you remember what we talked about on this slide? Aha. Uh -huh. Is there somebody in your church or in your circle of acquaintances that uh, you just admire the way they transition from a normal conversation to bringing up spiritual things? I can ask a mentor and say, would you take me with you? I, I want to learn. Okay, good. That's a really powerful way of learning. And did you know that... I'm not sure I told, said it last night, but you ought to be saying, God, you've given me gifts, you've given me um, what, I, what I have up until now, my training, what I've learned, my life experiences. How do I figure out to be really me and to reach out to people? Um, the only way to learn that is by trying. By practice, you'll discover what's you, what fits you, and what, what just isn't you by practice, by learning, by doing it again and again, and then you'll get good at it. And then we talked, so mentoring was the first thing, and then I talked about tools in your tool chest. Um, do you remember those? Things that you could... Skills that you can master so that you, when you have an opportunity, how to go from, from um, weather, politics, uh, sports, whatever, to, to spiritual themes. How do you get there? Just Wonderful. I'm going to memorize scriptures. There was some, someone else said something. Transition questions. Wonderful. You're going, to, you're going to have a list somewhere, a list on a piece of paper, but you're going to also have that list here. And you're going to figure out which one of those fits the best with this kind of a person, with, with the way you share the gospel. Transition questions. We gave a whole bunch of, of questions. If you weren't here, then you have to go back and listen to the audio. What are some other tools that you can put in your tool chest? Write out your testimony. It should include what three things? How it happened. 
Okay, how it happened? That's number two. What changed? So my past, what, how it happened, and, and, and how my life has changed since then. And you can, you can modify that so that the person you're talking to can identify with you. If you say to a, to a man who thinks he's really good, and if you say, I, I talk about how bad you were, they'll say, well, that's for you and it's not for me. Good. What else? What else were some of the, some of the tools to put in your tool belt? Well, let's just look at them real quick and see if... Um, so we talked about practicing gathering and practice using transition questions. Write out your testimony, memorize scriptures. Plan how you're going to share the gospel when you get a chance. Um, we said, well, the Bible talks about Jesus and he's the only way to heaven. That afterlife is either heaven or hell. Uh, we can talk about... We're sinners. Um, how many? You could ask this question. You know, when I when I look at my life, I just have this inner sense of what I ought to be doing, and I can't I can't look at God and say, God, I've always done what I knew I was supposed to. What about you? Could you can you look at when you think about that? inner sense, that conscience that God gave you, would you say that you've always lived by that? No, none of us have. Uh, choose a, a favorite tract. Alan Roth wrote a, wrote a tract uh, that CLP writes, uh, CLP publishes. It's called, uh, Have You Heard the Good News? And it's a neat little tract that you can just kind of walk people through and uh, if you have a tract you like better, that's wonderful. But a tract is something that you can give to them and they can, they can keep. So, I wanted to go over those things just to review because review is good. But I'm also hoping that maybe some of you will say, I wish I'd have been here last night. <sighs> These are things that I maybe should have said last night and I know that I'm racing the clock. But I just want to talk about some of these things my dream, what I think God wants to see happen among us. Um, I invite you to, to dream and to ask the question, what does God want to see? We have a lot of people here. When I was sitting up here this, uh, a few moments ago, I just, I just felt like there's so much potential here. that's not being used to the maximum. And I don't know if this slide is going to speak to you. I'll just say it this way. I went to Costa Rica in 1980. And uh, then I went in 1985, I, I was married and went to, to El Salvador with my wife. I lived there for 30 years. I have so many good memories of being there. But I wish I knew what I now know, and I wish I had the opportunities for ministry 
that you guys have. I wish I was 23 instead of 63. But there's so much opportunity for ministry now. So, I was in, I was taking up the Perspectives course, which is a, a powerful, life-changing course. Don't, it's probably being offered within 50 miles of here this winter. I don't know. Uh, the Perspectives course will change your life, so don't take it unless you're open to, to having your life be changed. I was taking the Perspectives course, and I was just kind of grieving that I didn't know these things 40 years ago. And then one of the men from our church who is pre actively preparing to go to ministry in, in Turkey said, Arthur, just like there's waves, there have been waves in, uh, in world history, I think maybe you were a part of the first wave that makes so that missions is on the radar and it, it's something we think about and it's doable. And that blessed me a lot because um, I get to talk about what your options are in 2020 that weren't options when I was, when I was young. I didn't know about the focus on unreached people groups. We talked about that uh, one of these evenings. There's so many people that don't yet know, and we said that in, if there was as many missionaries in Pennsylvania as there are in North Korea, there'd be 13 people here, 13 missionaries for all of Pennsylvania. That's not right. We talked about unbalanced sending, and we said... Um, there's so many needs. But lest you think I'm pointing fingers, I remember so well before I went to Costa Rica that I thought that it doesn't make sense to learn another language because there's so many needs here in the United States. And there are. And I talked about the way that God is bringing people to us. But I pray that we'll learn to listen to God And that we will send people from here to unreached people groups. That's what ought to happen. I want to see this is I want to see us prepare people to go. And tonight I have something that's very that I feel very deeply about. If you have the sense that God is calling you, you ought to be reading books. You ought to be talking to missionaries. You ought to be asking questions. You ought to be learning everything you can. We ought to value and honor people who need to go to college to be able to have those strategic skills to be able to get into closed countries. If you go to Saudi Arabia and say, I want to be a missionary here, it's not because there's too many missionaries there. It's because they won't let you in the door if you are just a missionary. You've got to have a viable skill that they want. 
my nephew Gerald, who lives at, uh, at Faith Builders, made this statement, and it struck a chord with me. And I think it's something that we uh, need to hear. And I'm not sure that I said it, will say it right. But he said, we as a, as a people are practical people. We see a need, and we, we move quickly to fix it. We don't overanalyze. We tend to just kind of look at education and say, oh, that's a waste of time. Um, we see people in Haiti and they need water and so we, we, can, we can figure out how to get, dig wells. We see other places where they need improved farming techniques or how to raise chickens well. We can figure out how to do that. I think God has gifted the Beachy constituency with a unique ability to see a need and to figure out how to fix that. Uh, there was a need some years ago for school administrators to have greater training and to, and to, and to be encouraged and to help each other know how to do uh, best practices as school administrators. And, and I am told that it was talked about at the Beachy Minister's meetings, and someone said, well, let's do it. And there is now a, a yearly event where school administrators get together, and there's teaching, and they, and, uh, and they make it happen. I am told that other constituencies say, they can't believe that this could happen that quickly. It is a part of our gifting to see a need and to say, let's do it, and figure out how to do it. Uh, the same thing is true with, uh, with uh, our Christian day schools. We, we have teachers who are struggling with having the resources that they need, and someone said, let's, let's, be, let's have a clearinghouse where all these teachers can, can give information, give resources, and receive resources. And so they, uh, they created the doc. It's a website where you can go to, to to get resources, to get ideas, to ask questions. And that's who we are. We're a people who say, here's a need, we can fix it. But there is a downside, and that is that some of the biggest challenges that face us, like translating the Bible, like going to an unreached people group in a closed country, you can't do that uh, on a whim. You can't do that without preparing a long, long time. Um, and it's my thesis that the man who is sitting in his church and AMA taps them on the shoulder or MIC says, we, ha we need help. And he says, well, hmm, hadn't thought about that. When do you need me? Well, we have an opening in three months. Sure, I can do that. It's my thesis that the person who spends the more time you prepare and equip yourself, the greater will be your effectiveness, and the longer you'll stay, and the more satisfying your, your time will be. And so I'm saying, yes, it's true. We are a people who, 
see needs, and we can get there fast. But I'm saying some of the biggest challenges that we have, we need to prepare carefully, and we need to learn from the people around us who have been doing this a lot longer than we have. There's so much we can learn. And we need to cheer for the men among us, the women among us who need to go to school and need to take training here and there to get ready. I think that's what we need. We need to appreciate our heritage and our core values. We're not to be, we don't need to be ashamed of who we are and the values that we have. It's valuable. Not too long ago, Lil was looking for some furniture. My wife was looking for some furniture, and it was in Wichita. And it was just what we wanted, and so um, it was actually for, for someone else. My wife loves to shop for other people. And so they went to the, to the furniture store, and it was a Muslim man that had moved to uh, Wichita from Dallas a year before. He was, he was originally from, uh, from Jordan, but he had moved to Dallas, and now he was in Wichita. And when these people came to visit him and to look at the furniture, he, there was an immediate affinity. That he said, I like you people. Uh, I want to learn to know you. Um, and we're hoping that either over Thanksgiving or, or Christmas, we'll be able to connect with him, his wife, and his tiny daughter. He, he, just, he just knew that we were the kind of friends, he, he feels like he doesn't have any friends, but he, uh, he wants to connect with people like us. And isn't that what Chris has been saying? That there's an open door for our people to, to reach out to Muslims. I'm going to flesh this out tonight, but I want to see greater local church involvement in sending. When my wife and I went to El Salvador, uh, the local church hardly knew that we were going, and they certainly didn't send us. Furloughs came and went. Uh, we rarely got to talk about what was going on, but things have changed. Uh, there ought to be where the goers and the senders are closely connected. People didn't know about what we were doing. But I think what God wants to see happen is that we as a local church be much more involved with tapping people on the shoulder and saying... You're a gifted person. I want you to get ready. I don't know what it looks like. Give me, let me just give you some examples. We have a man assigned in our church to be in close contact with the, uh, the Bible translation family from our church that's on the mission field in a closed country. And so he quite frequently on Sunday morning who will say, this is the latest prayer request. This is what's happening. I, I, I want you all to pray. Then there's uh, John and Crystal, who've been assigned by our church to walk with returning missionaries and people who move, move into the community. 
Uh, I want to see long-term commitments be possible. I'm all for short-term trips. If, it's, if the purpose is to begin to sense, is this the right place for me? Uh, what does God want to do with me? One couple who's preparing for ministry to Muslim, a closed country. Uh, he's almost done with his civil engineer degree. Uh, we sent him to, to I-58, to Greece, to, to experience what God is doing there. But I'm not so excited about people who go on six months or three months uh, Six, six weeks or three months, a short-term missions trip, and they come back, and they've praised the Lord. We saved those people, or we uh, built that church house, or we did that thing, and now I'm done. I'm not so excited about that. Sometimes those people don't understand the complexity of what's going on, and they have advice. Uh, but if we're going to have people from here make long-term commitments, it's going to require that we... Finance them. Uh, I don't know about, about you, but I'm guessing that there's people on your school board who visit local churches, like uh, local businesses, like they do in Kansas. Every couple of years, they're saying, "What are you paying now?" To get an idea about what we ought to be paying our school teachers. I think there's people that would be willing to be long-term teachers or long-term missionaries, but you can't pull it off because most of the mission organizations that are uh, run by our constituency are mission org organizations that care very well for people who make a three to five to 10 year commitment. And then they can come back and try to catch up with what they've lost out on economically. But I want to propose that we ought to be willing to say, we believe in what you're doing. We want you to be able to make a long-term commitment. We're going to put our money where our mouth is, and we're going to say, we bless you in staying as long as you need to. I think ABT, all nations... You know, all Bible translations, whatever their name is here. I think they have a model of the local church gives one-third, the family themselves provide one-third, and the local church provides one-third of, uh, of the budget that you need to be able to live in a foreign country. And I want to propose active local outreach. Uh, It's training. Active local outreach helps us and it keeps us from being sidetracked. So this morning I want to talk about missions is important because and give you some reasons why I think we need to be involved in missions. And then I want to talk about open doors of opportunity. About some things that are happening in Kansas that I'm excited about. And I'm urging you to figure out 
how to make your equivalent of that happen. Is missions really that important? Yes, it is. I want to try to give you some reasons for that. The first reason that missions is important is because it's for God's glory. Revelation 5.9 says, Worthy are you, for you were slain, talking about Jesus, and by your blood you ransomed people from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Revelation 7.9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from, every, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. I'm going to ask a question that even the youngest children here can, can answer. Um, does everybody get to go to heaven? No. The Bible was very clear to say that Jesus is the only way. There's no other name given under heaven, under heaven given by which we must be saved. So if, those, if not everybody gets to go to heaven, and if you have to know and embrace uh, the right truths and follow the right, the right Jesus... There's people that aren't going to go to heaven until someone tells them. Let me just look at the next slide. I have a question for you. What would be lost if people from 218 language groups wouldn't be in heaven? Do you understand my question? The Bible says that there's going to be somebody, going to be people from every tribe and nation and language that's going to be around the throne saying, thank you, Jesus. You're worthy to be worshipped and served because you rescued us. What would be lost? What part of God's glory would be thwarted if there's not people representing every tribe and nation and, and, uh, and language? Do you have any comments? I'm welcoming you. This is Sunday morning, but you can talk. What would be lost if every tribe, language, people, and nation wouldn't be represented? Maybe that's a question you haven't thought about, so I'll, I'll go ahead and comment. I think that each tribe, each language, each people, each person will speak to God, will glorify God out of their life experience. Their praise and their worship is going to be different because uh, everybody has their own way of worshiping and praising. We're people who sit in church and we hold still. There's other cultures that get really excited about what they have. There's different languages that have different strengths. I'll probably praise Jesus in English or maybe I, I don't know how it will be. But I know that when I feel deep, deep emotion, it just feels like Spanish is more beautiful, more, it, it connects with my emotions. I, I don't know, but I think I'm going to suggest that maybe the German language or some of these cold climate culture languages are precise 
and uh, they have different strengths. I think each unique culture is going to be grateful for, I can think about a woman who's there at the throne and saying, my husband used to beat me, but he doesn't anymore. I think there's going to be people there that are going to say, I used to go to bed hungry because my dad would, would, uh, would waste his pay paycheck on, on, um, on drink. I think there's people that are going to be there and say, thank you, Jesus. Because of you, I'm not afraid of the demons anymore. We don't worship those. We don't feel that, that stuff anymore. And I think that all these people groups are going to be there and they're going to be glorifying God. I have this fascinating thought. Ephesians 3.10 says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. I think that God could have put on a big screen, he could have magnificent, magnificently, he could have talked about the wonders of who he is and, and his plan and how he designed everything. He could have done a majestic job. But I think people from every tribe and nation are going to be a part of showing the manifold wisdom of God just ordinary people this verse says we're going to get to clarify to the watching spiritual beings both good and bad the manifold wisdom of God and I think every tribe and nation has something to contribute to that what do you want to tell Jesus when you get there how are you going to express yourself One of the things that's most powerful, but I don't, think, I don't hear people talk about it very often, is that God cares about your freedom to choose. When I look at Revelation 13, I get the idea that our enemy is going to use force to get people to be aligned to him. You know, if, you, if people are hungry, they'll do most anything. But our God, the God of the Bible, lets us choose. And we can say, Jesus, we love and serve you, not because life is so fun or so easy, but because you're worthy of our worship and trust. Napoleon wrote this. I know man. You know Napoleon, the um, 19th century leader of, of, of uh, France. France. I know men, and I tell them, and I tell you that Jesus is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded emperors. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions of men would die for him. We worship and serve our God because... He's worthy.
because he took incredible risks to give us a chance. And so, think about that. What do you want to tell Jesus when you get there? And somehow, majestically, we'll get to speak with millions of other people and the watching spiritual beings will say, oh, I didn't get it, but now I do. <clears throat> We've already talked about that. <sighs> Number two, what would be lost? Why is, why, are mission, why is missions important? Because Jesus came from heaven. He was rejected. He knew what, he, what it was going to take. I like to say, if I ever am a martyr, it'll, it'll be because I won't know about it, and I won't be able to stop it. But think about Jesus. He came. His father asked him to go, but he came voluntarily. And all along, he knew where he was headed, and he knew what was going to happen, and he could have stopped it. Missions is important because Jesus' love and sacrifice must not be wasted. God deserves to be glorified to rescue people who are lost. The people who don't know about Jesus, what will happen with them? I receive great comfort by knowing that our God, the God of the Bible, is magnificent in all his ways. He makes no mistakes. He knows how to fix things. Sometimes I just, I look at people around me uh, who are fetal alcohol syndrome or who are, uh, are suffering because of someone else's mistakes or who have been profoundly hurt and traumatized by sins against them. And they make some wrong choices. And I just say, oh, I don't know how to figure this out. But our God, the God of the Bible, will make, will judge justly. But there's no way to get around the fact that people who don't know Jesus won't go to heaven and they're going to hell. There's just no way to get around that. Jesus could have died. Jesus could have sinned. He knew that not everybody would accept his message. He knew that he'd have to die. And I think about, uh, I, just, just a quick contrast here. In El Salvador, during the 12-year civil, civil war, on both sides, people were forcibly recruited. They didn't have any choice, and they were, they were forced. But Jesus wasn't forced. And... I celebrate that. I want to propose that missions is important for the glory of God so that people can be in heaven with us, but it's also terribly important for us to grow and to stay healthy. If you don't have any kind of outreach, any kind of connection with other people that need to know the Lord, it's pretty dangerous. It's pretty dangerous. 
Christianity without a missions, outreach, is not authentic, and it won't last. It can't last. I'll tell you the Watchman Nee story. He gave this example. He said there was two men out in a blinding snowstorm. It was a blizzard. And they were so cold, there was the threat that they could die from, from freezing to death. They were stumbling along, trying to get to the place they knew up there, but they could barely see. And then as they walk, two men were walking. As they walk, they are, they stumble over someone who is already starting to lie down and get comfortable. You know that's what happens. If you get too cold, you start to get comfortable. And so they talked to this man and said, come on, we'll go, go with us. And the man was, was too comfortable. And so they said, we've got to rescue this man. We've got to, we've got to help him. And the other guy, the one man said that. The other man said, are you crazy? If we take him, we won't make it to safety. And the man said, I don't know, but, but I feel compelled to try to help this man. And so that man took the man over his shoulder, or, or however he could, and stumbled along. With great effort, he took the man with him. And the story ends by saying, as he was getting close to the safety, he finds the man, his companion, who had said, we can't afford to help this man or we won't make it. He finds him dead, frozen, but he had stayed alive <clears throat> because of the incredible energy he was putting out to, to help this other man. I want to propose that's what happens with us. If you aren't involved in any kind of outreach, if you're, if you're in living in the Mennonite bubble, I want to scare you. It's not safe. I think I need to keep going. I don't know of anything more exciting than being able to be a part of the harvest. Being able to be a part of harvesting. Or would you rather sit on the bench? Maybe you're here and you're not sure what to do. You are feeling the call, but you don't know what to do. Uh, in 2017, I was asked to be the Sunday school superintendent for the, down in the basement with, for the children. And for us, that involves a 15-minute talk. Uh, yeah, 15-minute talk. I and another person shared that responsibility. And I was kind of frustrated. I said, why don't these people know that I haven't, talked, haven't taught children for a long time? I don't, know, I don't know how to do this anymore. But then I said, okay, I got this job. I'm go my goal is to make so that being a missionary is the most logical conclusion. That these, it's, just, it's just what makes sense. That was my goal for that year. And so I invited as many missionaries as I could to, to tell their story. But and I was especially interested in, so how did you go from the idea to the mission field? How, how did you go from the idea to the place of ministry? And what I heard again and again was, I didn't know where I was going to end up. I didn't know how to do it, but I did the next right thing. 
treasures in heaven. Hmm. I thought I had. There it is. How can you deposit treasures in heaven? You know the story. Uh, Matthew 6 talks about don't. I'll just go ahead and read it. Matthew 6. The question I want to ask you is, I'm expecting you to answer. How do you get treasures from here to heaven? Matthew 6. Jesus says these profound words. I thought I had it. I think I, oh, there it is. Good. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. First thing I want you to notice is that the treasure you have here is unsure. Moth, that's natural causes. Rust is, is just... De- de- deteriorating. Thieves is people taking it away from me. So there's multiple ways where your treasure is not safe if you have it here. But how do you get your treasure to heaven? I'm serious. I want to hear from you. How do you get, how do you get your treasure from your bank account to heaven? And if you don't know, you'd better pay attention now. Winning souls. Okay? Helping needy people. Do you like that? Is that true? I think so. Read stories to your grandchildren. Okay? Jesus said in Matthew 25 that his followers will feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, take care of the strangers, give clothes to people who don't have them, visit sick people and help them, and go to pre- pe- uh, visit people in prison. And the interesting thing is that the followers of Jesus we're doing those things without thinking about it. The text says, Jesus says, you guys welcome into heaven because you did these things to me. And they said, I don't remember. And Jesus says, that when you do these things to the least of these my brothers, you're doing it to me. We can do these things and it gives us the right. We can care for people in these kinds of ways and it gives us the right to speak, the right to be heard. Um, You're in Lancaster County. You'll forgive me for saying this. Um, This is tourist country. People come to Lancaster County to to see those weird people. Maybe our cultural trappings can kind of get in the way and people don't think we're real people. But I tell you, when we get, get involved in ministry, they, uh, they understand that we're, we're just normal like they are. 
Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You can't serve two masters. Either you're either going to serve money or God. You can't love both. So, in the next few minutes, and please be nice if you give me a little bit of time. Um, Hands of Christ is a, I'm going to share a, a slide presentation. I have a lot of slides about what we're doing in Kansas. And uh, this is not a model. This is the way you need to do it. At the end, I'm going to ask you some questions that I think will help you to know what God wants you to do here in Lancaster County. Um, Hutchinson is uh, the city I live in. It's like 42,000 people. But it has drugs and alcohol. There's more deaths uh, per capita in... Um, there's more drug overdose deaths per capita in Hutchinson than there are in any other major city in, in, um, in the United States. There's, it's a very depressed economy. There's lots, a lot of homeless people. Um, and so that's some of the background of the stories that I want to tell you. Ellis uh, um, saw needs and he said, this is a large church and we're not tapping the, the we're not tapping all that's, that's there, all that could be there. Um, he, he observed that, he wrote a document that then became the impetus for hands, the Hands of Christ ministry that I'm going to tell you about. He said, a missionary that we send overseas, maybe he's able to, he, he guessed, can put 20, year, 20 hours of ministry per week but he's actually doing ministry. The rest of the time he's doing other things. But he said a large church uh, with 200 people that give two hours a week to outreach, that's two, four, 200 people times two hours is 400 hours. He said that's the equivalent of 40 missionary equivalences. And so um, he talks about some ideas about that, and um, he says the job, I think the rest of this is the, the final quote. As we reach out and minister to those in need, several things happen. We meet practical needs that would otherwise go unmet. We demonstrate to the world what true believers look like. We open the door to share the gospel with the lost. We grow spiritual as we turn our time, money, and hearts to the kingdom in practical ways. We grow closer as a body as we minister together in a common work. And ultimately, we minister to Christ as we serve others. May he receive the glory. So, as a result of that letter and young people talking about this, they said, this is something that we ought to be doing. They talked to the leaders, and there was broad support. This is something that we can do. Um, it, it felt really important to have somebody supported by the church uh, that is in charge to to make things happen. If we have a, an unpaid vol a volunteer coordinator, uh, it's not going to work. This man, Paul, is, uh, he recently retired uh, from this position and uh, someone else is, is leading out. So I'm proposing that this is a model that we're using in Kansas, it's very effective, and I'm saying, you guys here are smart enough and know well enough what the needs are here that you can figure out how to adapt this idea. 
The coordinator finds the needs. He has a telephone number that uh, agencies in Hutchinson have. And when they uh, need something, uh, they call him. He finds the, he, he links volunteers to needs. He coordinates projects. And he keeps the, 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 the vision alive. This is the well-defined mission statement. Hands of Christ Ministries serves the Hutchinson community through practical acts of service, friendship, and, and discipleship. The ministry operates under the leadership of the Center Amish Mennonite Church to provide its members opportunities to regularly serve the local community in the name of Christ. How did they get started? It was a brand new idea, and so they went door-to-door -door handing out leaflets. And pretty soon they learned that you don't ask. They started out saying, do you need what we offer? And the people were kind of offended. And so they learned to say, do you know somebody that needs what we offer? They contacted local organizations, and they gave the ministry phone number to Christian to city agencies. So this is what they do. Helping low-resource low people move their belongings. Um, cleaning out a septic tank. And by the way, Marietta is on the left. She uh, returned from El Salvador about a year, two years ago maybe. And uh, we struggled and struggled and struggled for a couple of years. Paul said, I'm wearing out. This intensity is too much for me. Please find another couple. And we looked and we looked and we looked and we couldn't find anybody. And now Marietta is the one that is serving in this function. Um, there's a, a man and his wife, you, would, you may know them, uh, who are, okay, Marietta's being paid 25 hours a week. And this man and his wife who helps her with men, men kind of things, he is uh, working up to 12 hours a week. Fixing a mechanical issue on a family vehicle building ramps. This man over here died uh, several months ago. Did he put treasures in heaven? He did. Cleaning up yards, hauling off trash. Fixing porches, replacing siding. Here's a stay-at-home mom that can't reach out, but she's fixing food, and then someone else is the, the link between, and this lady gets food who finds it difficult to, 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 um, to cook. Harvey Nisley, he's an older man who's been widowed for many years, but he fixed food, and the food got to needy people. The sewing circle, sharing comforts, comforters with families whose furnace gave out, painting houses, furnishing transportation to visit the doctor or pick up groceries, I guess. Committed prayer warriors regularly interceding for the needs in Hutchinson. The goal is not just to fix things or to, or to rake leaves, but to create friendships that keep going afterwards. Celebrate Christmas dinner together, spreading Easter cheer, babysitting, tea party, eating with the homeless, massaging feet, giving flowers to our friends. By the way, th those flowers come from the local grocery store that 
they can't be, they can't sell the flowers anymore, but they still have some life. So they give them to these ladies and they arrange them into bouquets and give them to people in nursing homes that nobody visits. So we, we want not just to dive in and leave again, we want to have ongoing relationships with people that we connect with. And it's an opportunity for deep connections. And it's changing us, and it's helping other people. And it's praying with people. These people are open to being prayed with and to have somebody help them. It's weekly Bible studies. The end goal is serving others and building relationships to encourage each one to a closer walk with Jesus. <clears throat> about, about the time that Paul was asking to be, be released, they said, would you, they asked me if I'd be willing to be involved in what we call the afternoon church, which is people that, we've, that have kind of become our friends who want to be a part of a Bible study. And so um, that's what we did. That's how I became involved in this ministry. And uh, I so well remember that uh, on October the 14th, I think it was 2018, Heidi and Lois, were, who have been lived in Hutchinson and know, have more connections than, than I did, said, uh, I'm just so burdened about the people of Hutchinson who are homeless. The winter's coming on, and they don't have any place to go. Some of them are at a shelter until 7 o'clock when they're kicked out, but some of them don't even have that. Can we, is there anything that we can do? Um, that's where the coffee corner, that's the building on, on your right. It's a building that Marvin Mast owned and he wasn't able to rent it. It's kind of in a commercial district and he said, I'll, I'll donate, the, I'll pay for the utilities, I won't charge you any rent, I'll pay for the coffee if there's somebody that wants to make, make something out of this. And so we didn't know if it would fly or not, but we said, let's try. Um, we figured out, we said, there's no way we can do anything during the night. We can't, we can't do that. But during the day, we can give a warm place for people to, who, who need a place to get out of the cold. Um, the first day we were open, oh, I, by the way, I was the one who said, Maybe we can be open one day a week. I was afraid of overkill. I was afraid, not of overkill, but of, of, of overtaxing people. And what do you know? The people were, there was a lot of people that wanted to help, and there's a lot of people that came. Um, I think I'll just keep going here. So this is afternoon church. As a result of the, the, the ministry, Monday through Friday, uh, we've been open sometimes from 7 to 10, sometimes from 7 to 1. This year it looks like we're going to be open uh, starting December the 1st from uh, 10, 10 to 4. Uh, two groups of people. We have at least two people there. We offer free coffee and just a place to be in out of the cold. It's a powerful place to connect with people. You can pray for them. Um, it's a place where, where um, 
city ministries can come to, uh, city organizations could come to and talk to people and help them deal with their unemployment and, and uh, housing issues. It's a, a wonderful connection time. These are the questions that I want you to ask yourself in closing. To try to figure out, see I'm, I'm not saying that the coffee corner, I'm not saying that Hands of Christ is right for you. I shared these slides with you because I want you to think not just out there. I want you to think about right here. What does it look like for us to be followers of Jesus here? What is our enemy doing in our county? How does God want me to use me to get in the way and to stop him? What are the needs of the people here? Some people don't need anything. At least they don't know that they need anything. They don't even know that they need spiritual need, have spiritual needs. What will it look like for the kingdom of God to come to your community? What are the things that aren't right? And how can you make that happen? Please don't go home and eat lunch and forget about those questions. What is your enemy doing? How does God want to use you to stop that? How does the kingdom of God look here? Where is it that it's not the way it should be? And how can we be involved? I propose that when we live in our Anabaptist bubble, we lose our focus. But when you get out and rub shoulders with people who are needy, who are struggling, all of a sudden you become rich. All of a sudden it becomes clear to you what the really important things are. I don't want you to lose track and veer off course. But I'll tell you, I worry. If there's anything we ought to learn from church history, we ought to learn that people who don't reach out, people who are just us, do get off course. And people who share what we have because we love Jesus, we know where we're going, we know how rich we are, and we can bless other people. This evening, I want to talk about how it could look for Weaver Town to make things happen. Okay, this morning I talked about local. This evening I'm going to be talking about some ideas that I have that I feel very passionate about. How to get people that are here who have a heart who want to be sent 
how to, I want to give ideas for the goers and for the senders. So I hope you come back tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so rich.